You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2, the deuce. Ah, it's very quiet, very it's subtle. There, yes. it's, there, it's there. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, this is a uh, Highland Gaelic Ale. That's a good one. Mm. They make a fine product. Oh. Yes. And then we have our storyteller today, Mr. Will the Thrill. Oh, and what's the time? It's time to get ill. It is time to get ill, yes. Uh, and to get back to you, Adam Yauk. So a uh, t- t- couple things. Oh, this drink is let's awful. Actually, let's actually touch on the bad did you guys know that Larry Flint died? No. No. When? Yeah, Larry Flint died. I when? I found I think he died yesterday, which is really no. sad because I mean I missed that. Yeah. How did I, I miss that? Also, uh, we yeah. have a friend named Todd who's on my Facebook page, and literally he posted a picture of a guy and said, Stand up, a giant has left the room. And I'm like, I don't know who this picture is of, but I didn't want to talk to anybody at the time so i didn't yeah. write anything like who this <laughs> yeah. but yeah apparently larry flint passed away i think he was oh, 87 according to the source 87 yes 87? 87 yeah so that's a good life and he created a magazine empire i think his building still stands on wilshire is it wilshire? the hustler publication building yeah the hustler building i think uh, it's is it there stands? or sunset i can't remember i can't remember either but it's like further down but there's other stuff in that building too. I mean, yeah, well, it's the Hustler building. But it's the Hustler building, yeah. which is, it was kind of cool to see. But um, yeah, so uh, R.I.P. Oh, Larry Flint. Yeah, so we did lose an incredible talent this week. I think on February the 8th, we lost uh, Mary Wilson of the Supremes. Jeez. And she was the, the longest reigning original Supreme and she was 76. And uh I know that that really bummed my mom out, bums a lot of people out because the Supremes are incredible. So rest in peace, Mary. One of the absolute powerhouse, quote, girl groups from back yep. in the day. The definitive yep. girl group, not, I think. Not Pro- probably the, you're right. Probably the definitive girl group. Not going to argue with that at all. Um, she was incredible. It, the, now the Supremes, if I'm not mistaken, are kind of like, the temptations where they would cycle people in and out right but i think that she's she's got to be the longest reigning supreme yeah the funny the the, the uh, nothing funny about her passing but one funny aside a friend of mine many years ago went to go see a band that um dubbed itself or billed itself as you know the one and only original supremes that's how, how they build themselves so i went and saw them Two of them were white. So I think. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh I feel my. like perhaps they were not original. <laughs> yeah, something uh, something got lost in translation. Unless, I, unless I've been terribly misled my entire life. <laughs> it's been a lie. It's all been a ruse. Yeah. Black and white TV can only do so much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, but, wow. what, but what an incredible talent. Great voice. Yep. Uh, you know, and you're part of one of the legendary, iconic groups of early rock and roll of, of Motown. Of, yeah. Yeah. And that was under the tutelage of Barry Gordy, who was just, who was just 
the, the man when it comes to music in the 60s like he helped create the Motown sound he, he yeah he pretty much was it yeah, yeah. definitely yeah don't want to not looking forward to an episode on him mm. definitely not looking forward to that uh, it is. Tell my brother the beer that I got you the other day because it <laughs> made me it made me laugh so hard that I had to buy this beer. I don't even drink, and I had to buy this beer for Will. Yes, one of LD's just uh, remarkable talents is the ability to not drink a beer but pick a really good one. So she was in the store the other day and comes back with the Belching Beaver. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Peanut butter chocolate stout. Yeah. Yes, peanut butter chocolate stout. Which, if you're in the mood for more of a dessert, Damn, beer, my chocolate peanut butter beaver. <laughs> it is quite stout. <sighs> um, it is a it, delightful if you're if you want sort of a dessertish beer. It does taste like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, I I wouldn't know, but he did let me smell it, and it smelled like a Reese's peanut butter cup, which it, doesn't smell like actual peanut butter. And yet here I am drinking another brass monkey. Yep. Count, counting the um, how many episodes on Adam? Jeez. No, this is uh, this so is it, um, episode three. So it didn't smell. It didn't smell like a beaver. No, no, it did not. An oh, organ be beaver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, okay. Moving on because I heard, I know it's like almost eleven where my brother is. Yeah. So Oof. let's just get this episode underway. Today we're going to be covering. It's, it's late and I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to turn my brother up a little bit because for once in my life I actually can't really hear him. And while you're doing that, I get. Do to I need issue... to redo the whole beaver and dam joke, or are we good? No, we're good. No, we're good. No, okay. I do get to issue again my favorite language warning. There is a warning for language. There is a warning for content. I will be re reading direct quotes with naughty words in them. So. so if you have little ears around, this is probably not the best episode to listen to with them in the car. Yeah, you may want to sit this one out and come back uh, on the next one. They, they might have figured that out when we opened with an homage to Larry Flint. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that that might that that doesn't exactly scream kid friendly. I but. will remember you. Da, 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 da. Will you remember me? Oh, it's like Sarah McLaughlin's. <laughs> Simply stunning. <laughs> Whew. All right. All right. Well, I'm glad we we're all laughing as we're taken back to a simpler time. 1992. It was a good time. And we are, of course, watching MTV with, in a shower, mind you, are Adam Yauch, Michael Diamond, and Adam Horowitz, along with a reporter from MTV. Yes, they were all in the shower, in which Yauch reminded us all, you got to have a sense of humor. So I think that's where we're going to start today's episode. In the which, shower, uh, with the I'm Beastie sorry, Boys. Which, um, which MTV reporter was in the shower with the Beastie Boys? I don't remember her name. Uh, Tabitha but Soren? It was not Tabitha Was it Tabitha Soren? It was not one of the, the in, a, in one of their videos. Uh, it was an MTV interview. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Now everyone was fully clothed, mind you, so it wasn't quite so illicit. And last we left off was the Paul's Boutique album. Again, we defined it as one of the albums that redefined the Beastie Boys, and it was certainly labeled as being ahead of its time. Now the boys were still under contract with Capitol, even though really everyone who signed that contract got fired except the Beastie Boys. <laughs> so there they are, still got an album to produce. And it's time once again to go back to the well. And of course, the Beastie Boys are going to reinvent themselves. Now, at this point in music, a lot of interesting things are happening because I think, TJ, you mentioned this last time, hip-hop was also reinventing itself. It was becoming a bona fide genre, but it was also changing tone. You had artists like De La Soul and A Tribe Called Quest. And of course, you had the Beastie Boys, who were changing the game sort of as they went. 
And yes, as TJ, you pointed out last episode, royalties were now an issue. The big lawsuit that would sort of blow this thing wide open was Gilbert O'Sullivan, who sued Bismarck Key for his unsanctioned use of Alone Again. Now, it was interesting that the Beastie Boys had been sampling a lot up until this point, including Led Zeppelin. Now, Led Zeppelin is historically not known for being generous with their catalog, if I'm not mistaken. No, they're not. However, when they were approached about the Beastie Boys sampling on particularly licensed to ill, Jimmy Page was, quote, flattered, end quote. Holy wow. crap. And no charges were pressed. And and you take that cow and milk it <laughs> yes, until you do. it's dry. So did they so did they they didn't even have to pay Led Zeppelin? To the best of my knowledge, no action was taken. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, you know, now that I think about it though, maybe that's something Paige has always has is it's something he's open to or uh, he's he's maybe he thinks that it allows younger audiences to find his music or whatever, because don't forget he he let Puff Daddy crap all over cashmere. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's also what day you catch him. I mean, Partici- get- participated in it if I don't if I remember correctly. Yes, he did. So, there, or or maybe he just likes rap or who knows. But yeah, for whatever yeah, reason. That that but there are a lot of people who did not take the view that Led Zeppelin did. Oh obviously. No, 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 they don't. So it would be nearly three years until the Beastie Boys release another album, and this was as described by all three of them a time of transition. During an interview, Mike D announced that he was going to wed his girlfriend at the time, Tamara Davis, who was working as a film and TV producer. They were engaged in 1992. In that same interview, Yauk was asked his astrological sign and he answered with grimace. So despite his jokes, Yauk was really undergoing what his bandmates called a full transformation mode. He actually ditched his LA apartment. If you remember, he was living in Koreatown and they were recording Paul's Boutique in part in that unit. He got rid of the apartment entirely and started traveling. So he was basically homeless. He went snowboarding in Utah. He went to Egypt. He went to India. And most importantly, he went to Nepal and Tibet. And Yauk said he was looking for places for spiritual influence because he felt that the view of religion in the West was too narrow. So he was looking to expand that, which is where, of course, he found Buddhism. Now, a lot of people research a religion by reading books, you know, going online. Yauk just walked into places and started talking to people. These included villagers, shops, and temples. He would just walk in and start talking to the monks. And this is how he learned about what was going on in Tibet, along with the research about how the Chinese government had come in and oppressed the country. And Horowitz said that everyone was open to him asking these questions because he had a demeanor that was, quote, odd with a thrilling calmness. Which I think is a great way to describe somebody. Yeah. So he basically got all his information firsthand. He just wandered around Tibet and talked to people. After such a sample heavy outing with Paul's Boutique, Yauk and the Beastie Boys really wanted to get back to their roots, and that was playing instruments. Under the guide of a new producer, actually, yes, he was a new producer at this point, Mario Caldado Jr., as you know as Mario C., of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Adam took up his electronic Fender bass again for the first time since their original EP, Polywogs 2. So bear in mind, the Beastie Boys have not played at least on an album since that album. Diamond went back to the drums, Horowitz took up guitar, and all songs were credited to all three equally. Nobody ever got top billing. So it was always lyrics, music, and instruments by Ad-Rock, MCA, and Mike D. The band set up shop at Mario's studio, which was called G-Sun Studios in Atwater Village, which is, as you know, LD, just a little bit east of LA. It's near Silver Lake. And Mario C actually allowed the boys to stay there 
even though on the first day, Mike D drove his rental car into the outside gate, completely destroying the gate. Oh, well. They could record there, they could use it whenever they want, and more importantly, they could stash their gear. Like I said, this was going to be a new album, and I'm going to bring this up on the heels of what a listener had contributed to our Instagram feed just recently, talking about albums that sort of reinvented the boys. And I'm going to kick this one off with a song from this next album, and I think there is no better way to prepare for what's coming than with the opening track on this album. This one comes to you from Check Your Head, 1992 release, and here is the opening track, Jimmy James. This next one is the first song on our new album. First song, new album, new sound. Thoughts? You know, here's the thing. I, I like the sound, 
my issue is is that their vocals maybe this is just because like i listen to music for my job their vocals almost seem buried in the mix hmm. so it's not if that's the style i sound that they were going for it's totally fine but it kind of makes it sound a little bit more freshman hmm. than it does their third album mm-hmm. so as their third album that's i don't know there's something about the mix that bothers me Okay. And maybe would need to listen to other songs on the album to see if it it sounds the same. But for me, I I like their vocals. What's in what's so interesting about the Beastie Boys is how quick their vocals are. Yeah. How they switch up so fast. How they just almost like hand it to one. Mm-hmm. It's like they're they're working as a hive mind. Yeah. And if you lose that part of the vocals in the mix, you lose a part of the Beastie Boys. And that's just my okay. untrained ear. Okay. Well, it's time for your fun facts. Fun fact. Fun fact. The name Jimmy James may sound familiar because this was the original stage name for Jimi Hendrix, if you remember. Jimmy James and the yes, Blue Plate. Yes, it was. Now that you yep. mention it, yep, sure was. Which is exactly what Adam Yauk was going for. He wanted to pay tribute to Jimi Hendrix. It was actually entirely written by Yauk as an instrumental, which huh. may explain your comment, LD. Huh. They wrote it as an instrumental and then put the lyrics over it later. So you had an evolution there. And also, can anyone pinpoint where that sample came from in the beginning? The This is our next song on our new album. Weezer. Weezer? TJ? I have no idea. I I was not familiar with that one. That one comes to you actually from Cheap Trick, live at Budokan. Huh. Ah, Now, the funny thing is, a lot of people think that's Mike D, and it sounds like Mike D. It does sound like Mike D. But it's Rick Nielsen. Yes, it is. It's Rick Nielsen, really? Wow. Okay. (laughs) Isn't that something? Or Xander. Uh, who was the lead singer at that point? I can't remember. Well, Robin Zander would have been the lead singer. Robin Zander would have been the lead singer. Who's Robin Zander? So it's Robin Zander. Yeah. Okay. okay. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Not Mike D. Well, that they album... they pull they pull some weird samples out of strange places. <laughs> yes, they, they do. make them fit. They make them fit somehow. But I mean, when you're sampling Mr. Ed and yeah. a, a a delivery man who's bringing a check to your apartment and Robin Zander from Cheap Train yeah. from Live at Budokan, that's that's eclectic. The album Check Your Head was released on April 21st, 1992. So they didn't get away from their sampling. That's obvious. But the lyrics are much more philosophical and introspective. The songs are Jimmy James, Lighten Up, Something's Gotta Give. Uh, I know So What You Want is a big one off that album, which LD you are not a fan of. And another... Yeah, it's a great one. Another one that Yauk wrote is an instrumental, and he wrote a whole bunch of almost... I want to call it free verse, kind of almost beat poetry over it and he said hey can i do this over the track and mike d was like you want to take lead yeah yeah man go ahead uh the result of that is pretty amazing and it's the final track of the album called namaste there was also a collaborator on this album his name was marcel hall but you know him best as biz marquee so biz marquee would make the first of what would be actually several appearances with the beastie boys this one on a song called the biz versus the nuge yeah they sampled ted nugent on that one I that think. they do yeah the nuge ah. that's right so the album went to number 10 on the billboard top 200 and would eventually go double platinum so it was nice. a killer album now as i mentioned earlier we had a listener actually thank you for this 
commenting on our social media who put forth a very compelling argument that Check Your Head is actually the redefining album. I can't say that I'm opposed to that. Now, we pointed to Paul's Boutique because I think it charted the Beasties trip away from being the company men for the record label, which was Def Jam. Sure. It also pushed virtually every musical boundary you can think of and totally reshaped the image of the Beastie Boys. Now, as this listener said, that this was sort of a return to instrumentation, and in many ways, they were kind of back to their punk roots. Because Paul's Boutique was almost, I think, entirely crafted from samples. Exactly. Uh, Virtually this, no this represents them actually picking their instruments back up. So, yeah. I mean, it, them redefining themselves in a slightly different way. Yes. I would just say Paul's Boutique comes off to me as a little more groundbreaking. Agreed. Especially since it a, after they did that, it would be, have been almost impossible for anyone else to ever do it again. And Bismarcky got sued. Right, because <laughs> Gilbert O'Sullivan sued Bismarcky. I want you to think about that. The face of rap music changed because Gilbert O'Sullivan sued Bismarcky. It is quite a landmark in, in the moment. But but as a consequence of that, we're, we're laughing, as a consequence of that, you'll almost never hear anything like Paul's Boutique again. You can't. It's you almost can't impossible it. to do it. It would be too, it would be cost prohibitive. Yeah, you, it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. And that sort of brings up the point of, you know, how do you pinpoint the moment where the Beastie Boys, quote, redefine themselves you know i went through a lot of articles for this and some of them would say the heyday of the beastie boys but when was that and isn't that a highly subjective thing to say i mean you could say it's licensed to ill but you could also say it's hello nasty you could say it's to the five boroughs really every album they sort of changed who they were and no two albums are the same and remain popular the whole time, but we love the feedback. So thank, thank you to whoever that was. Yeah, that was a phenomenal comment. And by the way, this listener went on to say that uh, they have seen the Beastie Boys a total of 29 times in concert. What? Holy crap. Since 1985. So we're talking back in the New York days. So, okay. So, okay. Quick timeout, guys. Yeah. What musical artist have you seen the most times in person? That Because that, that that's amazing. He's seen the Beasties 20-something times. It's either Weird Al or They Might Be Giants. Or They Might Be Giants, yeah. How many times? I have seen They Might Be Giants five times, and I've seen Weird Al Yankovic seven. So Weird Al would be, yeah. Seven times. Uh, the thing, though, but, you know, I'm, I'm more of a Broadway musical person, so I've seen the musical Rent 38 times <laughs> and in six different cities, and we've seen Wicked twice mm-hmm. you know like we will go see these repeat musicals especially like if they got like the lottery system that's how right. i went so many times was like you you put your name in the lottery and you get 20 dollars front row tickets so yeah um i've but, seen i've seen robert earl keen at least a dozen times maybe more i have seen the band everything i think yeah. six times when they were um, big in like 99 I, I saw I saw Robert I saw Robert O'Keen at, at least a dozen times. I saw Charlie Robinson ten-ish, and then I've seen Don Henley either by himself or with the Eagles. I think seven times. So that those those would be my my top flight ones. Wow. But 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 that but that ain't seeing the Beastie Boys twenty nine times. No, that's that is impressive. <laughs> so, okay, but hey, hey, good job, whoever whoever that was. Yeah, and thank you for the comment. We really appreciate. I, we it. absolutely we 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 adore feedback. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think we can just argue that the Beastie Boys were constantly changing who they were. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't say that it's a don't call it a comeback. They've been here for years. Thank you, LL Cool J. You know, they were always ahead of the game. As the late Orson Welles said, he hated the idea of being with it. An artist should always be ahead of their time. And that is the Beastie Boys. 
So every album is different. They keep you guessing. And that's kind of what you expect from the Beastie Boys. And that, in essence, came out of their transition away from Def Jam because Def Jam said, we want more of the same. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. So it became, I think, a very defining moment for them. Now, in the studio for this album, Horowitz described Yauk as basically directing traffic the entire time the album was being made. He said, we were several months into recording. The process was loose, but productive. We had never made a record like this. We knew how to play. We knew how to sample, program, scratch, and MC, but doing all of them above was uncharted territory. We didn't know what we were doing in the best way possible. There was a lot of experimentation, which is what Yauk was consumed with. And yes, there were copious amounts of marijuana. <laughs> so there you go. And I know you mentioned this earlier, TJ. So Yauk took a lot of notes from the early Beatles albums. In fact, one of his favorite albums of all time was Sgt. Pepper. During one session, they said the drums didn't quite have the big sound they needed. Now, bear in mind, they're in a large recording space. Think of a ballroom. So Yauk suggested they actually move the drum set to the center of the room, not on the stage. He then took a series of cardboard boxes, broke them down, folded them over each other, and basically created a long cardboard tube. He taped the boxes together and taped one end to the kick drum. And then he ran microphones periodically down the tube and then one at the end to create a bigger sound for the drums and catch it several ways down as it traveled through the tube. Interesting. One of the things I, I hate about the current state of music, now you would click a mouse and you would get the sound you want. Yeah. You used to have to really work for it. You, you talked about it LD, quite a while back when you did the month of Mercury, when you, you talked about some of the techniques that Queen resorted to in the studio to get the sounds that they wanted. Or well, on our John Bonham episode, but for the drums on the on when the levee breaks in a stairwell with the microphones yeah. hanging like two stories <laughs> above them. Uh, and stuff like that and this i say I, I love the inventiveness of what well, well, like well how can i get the sound that i'm looking for but they found ways to get them yeah yeah and it's a lot more organic and cool when you somebody actually works and and makes it instead of click yeah it's disposable music it's not meant to last this stuff like refrigerators and music that was better in the olden days i'm glad we've got medication now but damn it we had Freddie Mercury. Back in my right. day, you used to just have to knock on the door. You didn't just walk up to the ring and go, hello, I'm here with your package. What? How <laughs> about <laughs> uh, we do a song, everybody? My, grand yeah. my grandpa had a light bulb in his barn for 97 years and never changed it. Actually, uh, you say that, but we watched a special on the uh, Lighthouse Oh, the, the light bulb's been burning for the like light, 40 years? The, yeah, no, it's not. It's the century light. The century it's, light. It's, it was plugged in in 1901, and it's still burning. Well, in the, the, the damn things used to be made out of, like, tungsten and horse hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now it's, like, plastic and, yeah. Dream. Now it's some, now it's some cheap plastic crap yeah. that I, yeah, I have to replace the one in my kitchen about once every other month. Yeah, they, they say that it's got a thousand hours of burning time. Yeah, that's that's, that's Somebody that's find that. me some tungsten and kill a horse. <laughs> Or at least shave one. Let's let's get a sample of this ingenuity. This is another track off Check Your Head from 1992. And that drum sound you hear is in Pass the Mic. Oh my. 
Jews. What's up? I pop a we are back that was past the mic okay sorry to interrupt but we do need to take a short break for our sponsors and we will be right back progressive presents adjusting to the suburbs i never thought about space in my cramped apartment but in this house all i see is empty space 
The sofa and ottoman look like tiny islands in a sea of hardwood floors. I could get two ottomans in the living room, but then I'd need another sofa. <gasps> I could tell people I'm into minimalism. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. And we're back. All right, let's get back to Adam Yauk. Okay, so that's way slower. Yeah, the pace is slower. The pace is slowed mm-hmm. down a lot. Is it because they're getting old or they're just getting... They're not old. This is yeah. you, can, you can slow down into yeah. a... You can, you can do a slow one and still be young. I mean, that's yeah. not... Uh, okay. I know that we get into the point in episode four, but literally they said that my one of my favorite songs, and we'll talk about that later, was the closest thing they would ever do to a ballad. Yes, they did. I disagree. That's kind of almost like a ballad tone. Yeah, but not the not lyrically. Not, but not the lyrically. Tone, yes. tone, tone mm-hmm. tonal, the tonality yes, of it I is more balladesque. Am I being fancy? No, no, that's no, good. Okay. So in promotion for Check Your Head, the boys did several photo shoots. And once again, this was credited to Nathaniel Hornblower. Who is uh-huh. this guy? <laughs> who, according He's- to Elk, was his uncle in Switzerland, who was an innovative photographer, director, and he lived in the mountains of the Appenzell region of Switzerland. This was just many of one of the long-term practical jokes that Yauk would carry out over the years. Speaking of that, old Nathan was a old Nathan was prolific. Nathan was quite prolific, yes, and yeah. and he has a bio, by the way, on the Oscilloscope website. Just going to throw that out there, <laughs> so you can check that out. Now we all remember the Paul's Boutique album with the track of the clothing store outgoing message, correct? Yes. Okay, yep. they they use the actual message and the actual number. Shortly after the album came out, the store closed, which Adam Horowitz was convinced was not a coincidence. What nobody knew is that when the store closed, Yauk bought the phone number. He routed it to an answering machine that he kept in his parents' basement house in Brooklyn, in the basement of his parents' house. Wow. He, he updated the message, pretending that he was still the store. He would say things like, hey, it's Paul, uh, it's really busy. I don't know if I can get back to you, but leave a message anyway. Bear in mind, this number not only went out to over half a million people, it went out to over half a million people who listened to the Beastie Boys. <laughs> it was flooded so the message just got blasted the tape would run out people would keep calling it and eventually they tried to break into the system so what happened was is one day they were playing back messages and they stumbled upon this gem from someone named alan who was clearly drunk or high on cough syrup and here is a direct quote of the message yo paul this is alan you can kiss my ass i ain't interested in you anyhow I'm just interested in the B-Boys, so fuck you, my man. (laughs) Yauk found this so impressive because what happened was people people were calling this number so many times that they actually broke into the machine with the four-digit code, and they started making their own outgoing messages, and people would call back thinking it was the Paul's Boutique number. (laughs) So Yauk thought this was brilliant. He included that that message on Check Your Head. It is the opening to The Maestro on Check Your Head. (laughs) <laughs> which is pure brilliance. I thought this was going in some sort of way like the, they might be giants dial a phone. No, it went to a much nope, weirder place. Nope, it went way weirder. Uh, needless to say, Yauk kept the answering machine for years. It kept getting hacked though, but he would still update it and reverse the tape and bring it out every once in a while for a laugh. So the great Adam Yauk, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the boys would tour extensively during this point. They did stints with Cypress Hill and the Rollins Band. They toured the U.S., 
Australia, Europe, and Asia. During one of their trips to Australia, no, I'm sorry, let me go back. During one of their trips to Europe, Ad-Rock was actually cornered by a fan who kept convincing him to take a ring that he had. Yeah, you know where this is going, <laughs> I know <right>? the story. <laughs> and Horowitz is convinced it was like a gypsy curse or something, but he didn't want to be disrespectful because he thought he would get cursed, so he took the ring and he held on to it. Now, he comes back home for a brief stint, goes back out on tour. He had kept the ring in his bag and forgot about it. So they're on a train in Europe. Horowitz opened his bag and he's absolutely terrified because he sees this ring from this weird fan. So he throws it down the corridor of the train. We're going to leave that one for now. During this time, Yauk continued his passion for filmmaking. And this is what led to a directorial masterpiece of a song, which I'm not going to play because I know LD, it bothers you. And that's so what you want. The video is the kind of thing that makes you feel like you took drugs, even if you didn't. It was also one of the first uses of what they call the beatdown cam, which was the camera being on the ground with people standing over it. Oh, yeah. Yep. That was one of the first really? times. Really? That yeah. was one of the first times they used that? That was Adam Yauk. Ah. Yep. And, the, and, and also among the first instances in videos of a band recording themselves lip syncing at double time, mm -hmm. then showing it in slow motion so that a slow motion version of themselves is properly lip syncing. Yeah. And they're on pogo sticks. Okay, I did, okay, so, okay well <laughs> now they're just showing off. Yeah. So the interesting thing about like what you call the beatdown cam mm -hmm. is because I was in film school, there's an interesting study of the placement of the camera in speaking to power. Mm. So if you place a camera higher than your subject, uh, it seems like you have all the power and they are smaller than you and they are more vulnerable than you. Now, if you place the camera in the beat down position, like where it's looking up, you're giving that character all the power and and basically, you know, he's the master. So it's really and, and plus, to do that. And plus they can wave their junk in the lens. That they can. I'm so glad that we brought my brother on for like that, <laughs> that second, that, that third voice of you know wall penis <laughs> oh. so wall penis the penis of walls so that camera perspective what? you largely have adam yauk to thank for that camera perspective interesting yeah in 1992 big year big year for the bc boys they actually launched their own record label grand royale their slogan was guaranteed fresh every time their first signing True to his word, remember back in the mid-80s when she was kicked yep. out of the band, Yauk signed Kate Schellenbach and Luscious Jackson. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. wow. First signing. Very, very, very cool. And the band would go on to release several albums with Grand Royale, including the Fever In, Fever Out album, which I don't know if you've heard, is a great album. If you've never heard it, it's a great, no. groovy, mid-90s alternative album. Fever In, Fever Out. Sold very quickly over half a million copies out of the gate with Elroy, with uh, Grand Royale. I almost said El Royale. Is that Tarantino? <laughs> no, El, El, El Royale, The Bad Times at the El Royale. That's what it is. I think that's um, Breaking Bad. Maybe, yeah. I think. It's Grand Royale. Sorry. Not to be confused with with uh, Royale with cheese. That, <laughs> Not at all. Which that is Tarantino. Which I had to do right. in Italy. Had to yeah, we it. did that in Italy. I, I did, had to. Yeah. So you can see that Yauk is basically cashing all of these checks that he's written throughout his life. And that mm -hmm. is not going to stop. Grand Royale carried a number of other acts you may have heard of. At the Drive-In. No? 
Nope. Buffalo Daughter. How about Sean Lennon? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. He was on Grand Royale. Wow. Which, if you see him, he looks like the exact blend of John and Yoko. Seriously? It's terrifying. Ooh. That same year brought romance into the Beastie Boys' lives. Adam Horowitz married his girlfriend, Iona Skye, who was an actress. Wait, they slowed down enough to fall in love? Right. Jeez. And again, Mike D is also engaged at this point. Good Lord. And it was a year of inspiration. Yauk would routinely see his parents when he could, when he would come home. And if you remember, Noel was an architect by trade, but he was originally a painter. Adam convinced him to go back to painting. And so Noel Yauk did. He would actually go on to produce dozens of works in his later life. One of which was a gallery combination, which included photos by Adam, and it was combined with a mural painting by Noel. So they did kind of a blend thing. That's cool. The photos were credited to Nathaniel Hornblower, though. Come on! Just keep that in mind. That guy, wow, he's just got his fingers in in everything. Oh, he he does. He is a... A lot of irons in the fire for uh, Nathan. Very sneaky. That following year, 1993, Mike D. settles down with Tamara Davis. They would go on to have two boys, Skyler and Davis, interestingly enough. So you had Davis and Skyler Diamond. The group would gear up for another album, which meant, of course, more touring, hectic schedule. But this time, it would really be on their terms, because this would be the first album the Beastie Boys would release on their own label. They would bring out their instruments again, so you would have some sampling, but you would also have instrumentation. Mario C was back as the engineer, and this was actually, this is the first time that the Beastie Boys would get a co-producing credit. So they're getting a little more, I mean, it's their label, so who's going to tell them no? According to Yauk, we started listening to a lot of different things, which included hip-hop, jazz, funk, soul, Motown, and he said in the end, it came out as something completely different. So with Check Your Head, you've got kind of this callback to the punk rock, but still rap and hip hop. This time, Yauk was out to make another kind of statement, and that was a public apology for his behavior in the past. Horowitz even said later in interviews that there was no question about it, Yauk was the leader. So one day he came into the studio with a set of lyrics that they heard and they said, whoa, it marked a significant change for the Beastie Boys, apologizing for their behavior. This one comes along with a very catchy flute track, and it opens the next album. So we're going to listen to that lyrical masterpiece by Yauk, in which he apologized for all of his chauvinistic behavior in the past. This one comes from 1994's Ill Communication. We're going to do Sure Shot.
Yes, indeed, it's fun time. Fun time. So, did you all catch the lyric I was referring to? No. Okay. I did not. I will repeat it for you. I want to say a little something that's long overdue. The disrespect for women has got to be through. To all the mothers and the sisters and the wives and friends, I want to offer my love and respect to the end. Nice, dude. That 10-second lyric suddenly changed the Beastie Boys' perception completely. I'm just going to share a clip from the Beastie Boys book here. I remember truly loving and believing MCA when he apologized for disrespecting women in the past. I always knew I was in the club, but now I knew that they knew. That's uh, Amy Poehler, by the way. Holy crap. Yep. Who contributed to the book? She was one of the contributors. Wow. Ill Communication was released in 1994 and went immediately to number one. No hesitation. That line was a landmark because the Beastie Boys were, again, publicly apologizing for everything they had done before that point. Yauk put it best in an interview when he said, a lot of what we talked about previously was disrespecting women, and it was about setting the record straight. They also paid respect to, and cut a nice check to, Jeremy Stieg. If you're wondering who wrote that fun flute hook, that's Jeremy Stieg. It was actually lifted from a 1970s jazz piece called Howlin' for Judy. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the few rap songs, if perhaps not the only, to feature a flute. So there you go. It's like <laughs> Jesse's Girls, the only song from the 1980s to use the word moot. Exactly. So Just a weird thing to know. There is also a belief that the chorus, you can't, you won't, you don't stop, was actually inspired by an argument with Mario C. Apparently there was some tension in the relationship and the boys were recording late one night and they kept calling Mario incessantly. And apparently he said, guys, you can't, you won't, and you don't stop. Which allegedly led to the chorus of the song. That's great. So on this album, Yelk took the lead, not only with the lyrics, but musically. He was actually experimenting a lot with his bass at this point. Horowitz would say he would basically stand there and tell him about how the pickups worked and the strings vibrated. If you ran certain chords, it would do this. And Horowitz would just respond and say, that's great, man, but can you just play it? <laughs> well... There was a break one day and Yauk was fiddling with his bass, turned up the fuzz as high as he could, started playing a, a riff that had been going through his head. So there's Adam Yauk thumping away on his bass. Mike D kind of pokes his head and goes, okay. Starts putting down a little drum track. Horowitz picks up the guitar, 
the rest is history, folks. I'm just going to play the song. Ass. Oh, it's so great. That's awesome. That's probably one of the most iconic Beastie Boys songs of all time. Yeah, I've got no notes. <laughs> Everything <laughs> about it. It's flawless. Everything about it. So, the video is awesome. The song is great. Which means we're going to dive into some fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. This song was also an instrumental. Horowitz added the lyrics. The entire thing was instrumental and again inspired by that Yuck bass line. Uh, for the record, they had to be strategic with when they performed this song in concert because Adam Horowitz would often blow out his voice. So they had to be really careful with when they performed it. Well, I'm sorry, would he blow it out with the with the big scream at the beginning? or uh, I, At some point during the two minutes and 50 seconds, I don't know. Yeah. So we had a friend. Mark? No. Oh, Jason. Jason. Yes. Who could never get through the song... Man, in, Man in motion from St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> he would blow out his voice because every he time. he would blow out his voice. 
Every time. So every time. Tonight, John Parr for the full hour. (laughs) (laughs) Now, contrary to popular opinion, this song was not a politically charged song when it was written. It was actually written to express frustration between Mario C and the band. Basically, the boys felt that Mario C was rushing them and Mario was angry because they were, quote, taking too long. Are you rushing or are you dragging? Are you rushing or are you dragging? I feel like that's an ongoing thing. Uh, So that song was really born out of the thought that Mario C was sabotaging the band. That was later used as a political statement. However, this cannot be said for a recent release called Blood on His Hands. This was a politically charged song released this year by Chris Thompson, former singer of Memphis Memphis Band. Yeah! There it is, ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference you know of the podcast. Get old for us. Oh, it never will. No one has ever said we love the Manfred Mann ongoing joke, but you know what? It's our podcast, Dad Coming. Yeah, we're going to do and it, and we're going to entertain ourselves however we can. However we, however we want to, and if we want to do it by mentioning Petula Clark and Manfred Mann every week, that's what we're going to do, damn it. Yeah. And you're not going to stop us. Occasionally, glass. I'll, I'll see now. Okay, so I'm I'm legitimately curious, Will. Yes, sir. Because as we approach this series, I thought to myself, I wonder, did the Beastie Boys ever sample Manfred Mann's Earth Band? <laughs> that is a great question. I will, to the best of my knowledge, the answer is no. But okay. we'll Google it now. We will have a ruling on this. Hang on. Okay. Well, I, while you're I, I may have I, I may have just handed you your. Manfred Mann reference for part four. <laughs> oh, I already have one lined up, so don't worry. We oh, good. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> but uh, while you're Googling that, I will say that obviously the Beastie Boys were, shall we say, choosy mm-hmm. about using their music in advertising. Again, harken back to the British Airways days where they straight up stole the song. So this one got a rare exception. It was actually used in the trailer for the game Destiny 2. Oh. Yeah, it was. Hmm. And I think we you can't talk about this song without talking about the video. It's impossible. And TJ, you and I cited it as our favorite Beastie Boys video of all time. Mm -hmm. And I think for many, it's one of their favorite videos. The Beastie Boys have had great videos up till this point. I know you had mentioned TJ Shadrach, which I think gets overlooked a lot because it's quite a video. But there's Hey Ladies, Fight for Your Right to Party, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, Shake Your Rump. And Shadrach, as you know, was directed by Hornblower. Now, Mm -hmm. Hornblower made an acting appearance in this particular video. Did he? Oh, yes, he did. Now, during interviews, the Beastie Boys would often talk about Hornblower and his itinerary oddly lined up with things that Adam Yauch was doing. I think one of the most flagrant examples was the High Times release party, allegedly attended by Nathaniel Hornblower. Hornblower also appeared in what Yauch described as, quote, the official CIA standard attire of the 1970s in the video. In that video, you will notice that Hornblower has a perpetrator that he slams down on the hood of the car. Do you remember that? Yeah. I do. That individual was actually part of the inspiration behind the entire video. So Adam Horowitz, he thought it'd be funny to do a series of photos and the photos would depict kind of a Chips Hawaii Five-O kind of, you know, sketch. And they decided to expand the sketch. And to do that, they actually talked to one of their editors at Grand Royale named Adam Spiegel. But you know him better by his moniker, Spike Jones. Nice. Yep. So as for this video, Jones had never before shot a rap video. He had shot videos for Sonic Youth, The Breeders, Weezer, and Luscious Jackson. The video was shot entirely in Los Angeles without any film permits. So everything they did was run and gun. Are you serious? Not a single permit. Oh my God. Even when they throw the dummy off the building? That is so bad. Yeah, they could have gotten busted at any moment. 
And when Hornblower slams the perpetrator down through the car, that's Spike Jones, the director. That is nice. Yeah. Very nice. Okay, and uh, I have, have a ruling? I have a ruling, guys. Okay. It doesn't look like Manfred Man's Earth Band has ever been sampled by the Beastie Boys. However, okay. there is an interesting overlay between the two of them. Is okay. there? There is a song called Start by The Jam from the album Sound Effects. It is the 11th UK release single from the band The Jam. And the Beastie Boys covered their song on their 1999 single Alive. Okay. And Manfred Man's Earth Band covered their song on the 1987 album Mask under the name What You Give Is What You Get. Start. Interesting. So they have both covered the same song. So there's a tie. Wow. There is a tie in there. Nice. Okay. We have two. We have met our requirements and then some. Speaking of Nathaniel Hornblower, he would actually make a rare public appearance the following year at the MTV Video Music Awards. Oh my God, I remember, remember this. this. So The guy in the later hands yep. in. So Sabotage yes. was nominated for Best Music Video, and it actually ended up losing that year to Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. So as Michael Stipe and R.E.M. were taking the stage, out runs Hornblower, completely in Lederhosen, with his mustache, his glasses, <laughs> and he spoke with a lisp. Now, during this moment... Wait, he, he Kanye West... Before Kanye West. Before yes, he did. Kanye West. Wow. So Hornblower claimed that Jones should have won and that he had actually come up with, this is one of my favorite quotes ever, all the ideas for Star Wars and everything. <laughs> now, if you watch this for no other reason but the look on Michael Stipe's face, it is totally worth it. It is absolutely hysterical. So Kanye, you weren't first. It was actually Adam Yuck. Well, actually, actually, if you want to go back... Technically, wouldn't ODB have been the first to crack? No? Well, we're just saying he... Adam Yauch did it before Kanye West. Kanye West, because yeah. okay, but did, did he do it? But did he do it before ODB crashed the, the stage? Let's uh, see. When Sean Colvin won Best New Artist, yeah, because this is nineteen ninety-five. That wouldn't have been for another few years. Now ninety-eight. Which song? Okay, that was nineteen ninety-eight. So, oh, so the Hornblower was first. Very nice. Hornblower, Hornblower was first. Was first. And needless to say, Hornblower would continue to be a topic. Yauk would say it, things in it would. It would, however, be after Nirvana sent a Michael Jackson lookalike to the stage at the VMAs. Because that was 93, right? I think that was 93. Which is hysterical. <laughs> Which is great. And I, I don't remember this. I'm going to go look it up because it sounds awesome. <laughs> it, it is fantastic. So, I'm trying to picture like... Like a, a befuddled Michael Stipe looking at Nathaniel Hornblower and in later he's talking about inventing Star Wars and and, and everything and yeah, everything. everything. So Hornblower was a continued topic of conversation. Yauk would say in interviews that he's only out for himself, Hornblower, and that he doesn't care about the band to the point where the press actually started looking into Nathaniel Hornblower, and boy were they surprised when they realized no such person existed. <laughs> master of practical jokes and the thing is if you watch the interviews with yauk he's totally cold you you've no idea he's joking so despite these on-stage antics yauk was really focused on spiritualism and feminism as we discussed earlier the same month ill communication came out yauk would establish what is perhaps his most enduring legacy and that is 
the Milarepa Fund. Yauk was so moved by the plight for Tibetan freedom that he formed the foundation with New York activist Aaron Potts, again, this same year. The cause was nonviolent support for the people of Tibet and their movement. As Yauk said, it's going to take everyone's involvement to change what's happening. In 1994, the Beastie Boys were the headliners for the La Palooza tour. These acts included Smashing Pumpkins, A Tribe Called Quest, George Clinton, if you remember. Part of the act included Tibetan monks that Yauk actually had come over from Tibet and perform live on stage during the Lollapalooza. You can see this. There is video footage of it. It was designed to raise awareness. That same year, the Beastie Boys would release Some Old Bullshit, which is an album in which they took all of their old punk songs, remastered them, put them onto one album. So that includes the classics like Cookie Puss, Riot Fight, A-Grade. Did, did you make air quotes around classics? All, all I'm going to say is when we get to the top five albums, which we'll close out our series with, I'll be shocked if it's not on your list, guys. I mean, come on. Um, can I, wait, wait, wait. Really quick. You're telling me that we actually probably listened to the remastered version of that shit? It's entirely possible. I think that was off of some old bullshit. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Yep. <sighs> in 1995, wow. in 1995, Yauk had fully embraced the study of the Buddhist faith. He actually went to Harvard to meet the Dalai Lama. At that same meeting was a young lady, Deshaun Wangdu, who was a U.S.-born daughter of Tibetan immigrants. There is a photo of the two of them at this event, which is fortuitous because little did he know at the time, Yauk had met the love of his life. Aww. Yep, they met. Oh. They met meeting the Dalai Lama. And and yeah, you know, big driver the Lama. Oh yes, big deal, big deal. I mean, how do you not? Walk up to him and go, hello, Dolly. He's probably heard How did you, so how, how do you not walk up to him and go, Gunga Galunga? <laughs> Unfortunately, not everyone in the Beastie Boys was so lucky that year in the romance department. Horowitz would begin the separation from his wife, Iona Skye, although the process would take several years. The Beastie Boys would actually release another studio album that, that year called Aglio e Olio, which is a translation of Garlic and Oil. This album was entirely new punk songs. So they did punk, but they wrote all new songs and performed them. And that's the entire album. And, wow. Yeah. Yao continued to raise awareness for the Tibetan cause. And this is all while touring, by the way. So he's touring. He's got an album out. He's actually released several albums. And his goal is to launch this thought of free Tibet, as you put it, LD, into the public consciousness. This would finally pay off in 1996 with the Tibetan Freedom Concert, which wow. I'm sure you all remember to a degree, but now you know that it was founded by Adam Yauk. Wow. Joe took place on June 15th, 1996 in Golden State Park in San Francisco. The headliners included the Beastie Boys, the Smashing Pumpkins, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Fugees, A Tribe Called Quest, Rage Against the Machine, and the Foo Fighters. That's a lineup. That is something I would have loved oh, yeah. to have seen if I was ever allowed to leave the house. Well, if you had, you would be one of over 100,000 that saw this show. Wow. The event raised over $800,000 for the Milarepa Foundation. At that time, the Tibetan Freedom Concert was the largest benefit concert since Live Aid in 1985. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. It was second only to Live Aid at that point. That is incredible. Yep. They launched a second concert the following year in New York, which raised over a quarter of a million dollars for the same cause. 
And during this time, there's actually footage of this, Adam Yauch was participating in peaceful protests. He actually got carted away by the police several times. That is awesome. Yep. He would also, do why would and... you get arrested for a peaceful protest? That is the biggest blocking a road i don't know but uh, he got he got dragged in a couple times well good for him yeah. jane fonda i know right and yet as we close out this episode yauk's most charitable work was going to be much closer to home you all remember dave parsons right yes the yes store owner slash record producer slash charlie chaplin impersonator who was transitioning he was transitioning yes, yes. he had moved to switzerland and he and yauk had been in touch he had moved to Europe because the culture there was a little more welcoming of that kind of transition, which I realize is still a very divisive topic even today. Mm-hmm. Also, he was looking to physically make the transition, but there were two problems. First of all, being a traveling Charlie Chaplin impersonator doesn't pay all that well. Really? So person, yeah, you, you'd think. I, so I would have imagined that as being a, a lucrative <laughs> gig, but... Um... Needless to say, Parson didn't have a lot of money to his name and he was terminally ill with cancer so what money he did have was basically going to an illness that was pronounced by doctors going to kill him it was just a matter of time yauk heard this so what does he do he calls their management company and he calls their accountants and he does this obviously with the knowledge of horowitz and diamond so they're all in on it he arranges for a series of payments to be made out to david parsons for expenses equipment reimbursements, and, quote, unpaid back royalties. It's interesting how this amount came out to be just what Parsons would need to complete his reassignment surgery. Oh, don't make me cry in episode three. It took a year, but Dave Parsons made the full transition to being Daisy Parsons. The cancer would claim his life one year after that. However, in her dying days... Daisy says that she was happy to spend those last days in a body of her choosing, thanks to Adam Oh, God, don't make me cry, please. And that is how we're going to step away from this week's episode. Um, If you ever doubted the empathy of Adam Yauk, just take in what I just said. Mm -hmm. That is a superhuman level of, I see someone suffering, and I'm going to do something about it. So sweet. God. You know. Hey, LD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So before we do our closing song and of course our sign off, we do have a topic of discussion for this week and this is among one of the more difficult. It is top 5 Beastie Boys songs and yes, we do have a write-in contribution again. I think you and the write-in should go first and then okay. cuz I went first last time. All right. So I will read first my buddy Mark's write-ins. When I sent him this, he responded by saying, this is pure torture. He actually described it as to choosing one of his children, of which he has three, by the way. So here are his songs in descending order from five to one. We have from To the Five Burrows. Check it out. Number five. Yep. We have from Check Your Head, 1992. So what you want. Number three, we have from 1998's Hello Nasty, Intergalactic. It's a great song. It is a fantastic song. Number two comes to us from 1989's Paul's Boutique, Shadrach. Fair. I got to agree. Okay. It's, by, the, by the way, the one song we never performed at karaoke because we deemed it too difficult to perform. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, too hard to perform. <laughs> Number one from 1994 is Ill Communication, Sabotage. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. 
So did you want me to do my list or shall we shake you, it up a little you bit? You do your list. Okay. You do your list. Mine actually lines up a lot with Mark's. Um, I called an audible at number five. I got to put check it out on this list. I didn't originally have it, but I have to. Okay. It's it's check it out. It's fantastic. Number four, I'm going with Sure Shot. Okay. Great song. Again, when that video came out, it was huge. And I remember being in Doug's basement listening to that song and that album. It's a big one. And again, what other songs use a flute? Jazz flute. <laughs> Number three, I'm going to go with Shadrach. I do think it's a masterpiece. The lyric trading is unmatched. The song is brilliant. Number three. Number two, open letter to NYC. Oh. And we're gonna we're gonna fever. Get this one, get this one a little bit later. Fever. Uh, but that is again what the Beast Boy says the closest thing to a love letter that they've ever done. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna cap it off to what song can I just not live without? I'm going with No Sleep Till Brooklyn, guys. I I love that song. I think it's a respectable it's, list. It's just it's a respectable it's list. It's just so it's just one of those songs again. I, I have to play if I'm listening to License to Ill. So all right, so my you're, top five. You're you're the you're the driver, so tell me your uh, team. I would say TJ will go next and LD will cap us all right. off. Okay, uh, I'm going to throw out one honorable mention. Uh, mm. That be uh, get it together. Ooh, good Ooh. one. Get it together. Um, but but mainly for the reason that you have a fourth person rapping on it. That being Q-Tip, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and it flows. It flows pretty seamlessly, and it's a cool song. I just yeah, like it. It's a really cool song. The rest of my list is going to be really mainstream and bougie and not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And I hope y'all are cool with that. Go for it. Um, I, I skew kind of early on my list, too. In fifth place, I have what Will is drinking. Brass, Brass monkey. monkey. Brass Monkey. That's Funky Monkey. Much in the way, LD, that in the last episode, you insisted we play Girls, even though it's very simplistic, and it sounds like it's played on a cheap Casio keyboard. <laughs> the, the, the Brass Monkey, kind of similar. <laughs> and kind of silly but that's one of the early ones the chorus is really cool it's just it's infectious and really catchy and i just like the song it's a, it's a great one there's no mm -hmm. wrong answers here yeah there's... yeah um and fourth i'm gonna go hey ladies mm. from paul's boutique good choice i read off the list um I don't, I don't have it in front of me right now but of all the people they sample for that one and it runs from like james brown to thin lizzie mm -hmm. <laughs> there's cowbells there's a disco vibe. The delivery is really cool. The video is awesome. So I put that one at number four. The video is just slap nuts bonkers, isn't it? I don't, I, I for the life of me, I have no idea what the, what's going on there. There's the girls with the fake, the big fake asses. The and there's band. like karate and there's an old Derek and there's disco and there's like an homage to cheap porn and, and there's, there's a mariachi, mariachi band, band. Yeah. It's like, I, have, I have no earthly idea what, what's happening there but it's really entertaining and i like it i think for number three i'm gonna go with fight for your right to party because it's the one that introduced me to them yeah uh, and it's a pretty undeniable awesome party rock song oh it's great uh, I think we can can all agree. Number two for me, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Love the riff. Love the delivery. Uh, I think you said it's Carrie King from Slayer actually mm. playing guitar on that one. And it's just, it's everything I love about early Beastie Boys. There you go. Uh, and number one, I think I'm going to gonna go with your buddy. It, for me, Sabotage. Hey, again, the, no the, wrong the, uh, the distorted bass intro, the, ah, just, 
everything. The delivery, it's just, the video is brilliant and hilarious and awesome. And the song is great, but it, but it's, it's really memorable because the song is so good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's just undeniable. And that's probably my favorite one ever by them. All right. Fair enough. So mine is falling in line with uh, Mr. Hickey is an open letter to NYC. Uh, I'm very, I'm very much fond of that song because I feel what they feel. Uh, it's something that like I absolutely can relate to and I love it. Uh, the next one, I'm just going to say the uh, initials of it, which is Hey F You. <laughs> and uh, the reason why is because it, that is a diss track against Eminem who I don't think ever responded. There's, I'm actually going to cover that in the next episode. Okay, um, okay. He kind of backed away after in that. response. I mean, he was very respectful to the Beastie Boys. There, there was a controversy, which I'll get into, but he basically was like, that's on me. Yeah, yeah. yep, <laughs> yeah. all right. Yeah, so it's a diss track against Eminem, but it's great because mm-hmm. they adopt the style of an Eminem song by using like, weird sampling and like wiggly cartoon voices and strange it's just it's it's fantastic so it's weird but it's great and it's done so well and i'm glad to hear that eminem backed down and then my next one these are in no particular order by the way my next one's girls i think everybody has known that so it's so dumb it's so stupid it's so misogynistic it is so much fun just let go. Uh, and then, of course, I have Check It Out because that is Check it out. such an awesome song. And so I think Travis is the only one that didn't put Check It Out in his top five. Or anything from To the Five Burrows. So we have to introduce you to that album, T. And then my final one. That's I prefer Brass Monkey. <laughs> totally fine. But you can also it's, listen to new stuff, it's too. It's your rights. My final one is She's Crafty. Ooh, with a Led Zeppelin sample. I had to go with She's Crafty. Mm-hmm. So that's those are my top fives in no particular order. A lot of license to ill there. Yeah. Well, I mean, like that's <laughs> that's the one that really kind of introduced it for me. Picked and choose. Picked and choose. Picked and choose. Again, no wrong answer here. There's him. Um, so enough. we're gonna put it out to you, our listeners, who, by the way, thank you for your comments uh, recently on Instagram. We really appreciate you engaging and keeping the conversation going. And so we will keep it going. What are your favorite Beastie Boys songs? what resonates with you and here are our socials where you can find us and talk to us which we want you to do yes if you would like to become a patreon you can go to patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven we're going to do something awesome with it soon yes, yes we are yes we are big thing if, uh, if ld can do the technical end of it i'm i'm the idea man <laughs> i don't uh, dirty my hands with making things happen i just i, I think of of big things you have the view from 30,000 feet. He, he, I do. He thought of Star Wars and, and everything. everything. I love that clip. It's so and cool. everything. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter at Rock and Roll LT. Our Instagram, which uh, we love to talk to folks and we always update photos and stuff of uh, the people that we're talking about. So check us out over there. We're Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Our Facebook is Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Still not saying our website hasn't been updated in like two years and I'm probably never going to do it. So whatever. Hey. Anything? Yeah. No. Hey, can I point one thing out just to, to laugh at you? Yeah, what? So LD uh, actually did put up pictures of the three of us on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, you know, it's a, it's a picture of her with, I think, Gene Simmons, 
Yep. It's Will. Uh, uh, Will appears to be sitting on a roof, and it's me with my dogs. And then, as, as you look at the pictures, and that is the three of us, it says, "This is rock and roll heaven. We're just two girls who love music." <laughs> I told you, I cannot change anything until, for some reason, <laughs> Facebook is like, "You should change this." And I'm like, "Okay." I have been trying to figure out how to change those pictures for a solid six months. And well, I you changed the pictures, but but the description below says, we're just two girls who love music. So we started a podcast. I don't know how to change it. We're just two giggling hillbillies. <laughs> if someone can help Two me giggling hillbilly chicks. <laughs> two... If you know how to fix this, please email us at rockandrollheavenlt <laughs> at gmail.com. Help us help ourselves. And while you're here... As a Patreon, you can give us money where we can pay someone to go on and fix it. So either way, it'll work out. Right. Oh, man. If we had someone who could A, do the editing, or B, run our social stuff, that would be amazing because <laughs> that's where we're at in life. Anyway, Wait. and make sure to please check out all our other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much, Will the Thrill. Excellent episode, as always. Make sure to check us out next week where we're going to close out our epic story of Adam Yow. Yep, the, the sad final chapter of Adam Yow's life. So, Not that it's all that sad, but it's sad we lost him. So, TJ, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. All right. Mr. Hickey, wish to take us out? <sighs> I will take us out, and I mentioned a track earlier on Check Your Head, which I'm going to go back to, again, thanks to the prompting of our interaction with one of our listeners. I think this is a great way to close it out, because hearing what you just heard about Adam Yauk, and again, his understanding of someone else's suffering and stepping in to fix it, a lot of that he would attribute to his Buddhist faith. And this is the closing track on Check Your Head. It's a great way to sort of think about things and reflect them. So I'm going to play that. Thank you for joining us. We're going to close out with an, a masterpiece by MCA. Namaste.
but I'm sure it was only yesterday. Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. It never dawned on me how much walking I used to do until I bought a house in the suburbs. Like when I'd say, I'm going for coffee, of course I was walking. But now it's like three miles, and no latte's worth that. I find myself inviting people on walks with me, like it's a scheduled activity. This morning, my neighbor asked me what I'm doing, and I actually said, I'm going for a walk with Nancy. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.